Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Level Up, the esports and gaming show with me, Nathan Bliss, esports and gaming writer at Reach PLC. In this week's episode of Level Up, I was joined by Dr. Barrow Hoyon, Professor of Esports Business at Keogh University and the founder of an esports advisory practice at a Tokyo-based Big Four consulting firm. He's also the author of a recently released book, Demystifying Esports, a personal guide to the history and future of competitive gaming. Barrow told me about the business of esports and why esports is such a great investment opportunity. We also spoke about the popularity of esports and gaming in the Republic of Korea, discussed PC bangs, how the industry in the Republic of Korea compares to the UK, and what the future of the industry worldwide could look like. We also spoke about his brand new book, Demystifying Esports and why he wrote it, whilst also touching on the increasing importance of gaming in cultures around the world. This week by Barrow Hoyun, uh, author of Demystifying Esports, uh, also a professor of esports business and a founder of an esports advisory practice at a Tokyo-based Big Four consulting firm. Uh, Barrow, how are you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me, Nathan. I'm delighted to have you on today, um, and I'm really excited for our for our chat. There's a lot we we can get stuck into, but yeah. could you just give uh, give our listeners a quick overview about yourself, your professional background, and what you do? Right, right. So, oh, actually, I my career had nothing to do with gaming at all. Uh, so, I uh, I was formerly trained as an engineer. So, I've been working as an R and D engineer for about ten years, also as a data scientist. So, on the aerospace industry and automotive industry. And then uh, then I switched to this management consulting firm about three and a half years ago. And I, I was I joined as a tech consultant. Then, uh, you know, uh, in the middle of it, I decided to launch an esports advisor in 2018. And it, it, was, it kind of started off as a side project, as anybody else would. And, uh, you know, then lo and behold, the things really took off. And, you know, right now I'm doing this as full time commitment. So that's in a nutshell. Can you just tell me from your yeah. from your own words what esports is and and give some of the numbers around it that that you've got in your book at the moment? Yeah, so oof, that's a really good question. Uh, <laughs> so to me, esports. Uh, I'm originally from Korea, and uh, when I was growing up, it was all about Japanese video uh, console games. But then, you know, in the middle of it, we had StarCraft, and that's really how it all started. And honestly, I was, you know, back then junior high school student and I never knew this was going to be this big and nobody called it as esports back then. But then 20 years later, we're seeing, you know, I mean, all around the world happening right now. And I have two kids, two boys who's an avid, you know, a Fortnite player. And uh, I've been playing with them like for over years now. So the way I see it, esports, I tend to think it's a there's a lot of business opportunity. That's why I started this advisory. But right now, uh, to me, it's more of a uh, one one very important key is about communication. 
So it's a very effective communication tool with your uh, own family member, for example, my kids, but not only to that, also with, uh, you know, corporate side of it. So internal corporate, you know, communication as, as a tool that's also very effective, but also uh, educational side, there's a lot of uh, prospect and educational side as well. So to me, it's, it's still, I don't know, I, 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 I can't really give you a really definitive answer to that, to be honest with you, because to me, it's still a very exciting puzzle to solve. There's just so many different facets and that's what's, you know, making me to you know, keep on engaging and still, you know, go, go, go dip, dive, dive, dive into it. So, you know, it's hard to really say. And number wise, you know, I always get asked like, what's number and all that. And, you know, I, I should know better be, being a consultant, but <laughs> I don't, I don't have the exact number right now, but the, the, the growth, as you can see, I mean, the reports are all over the places. Uh, we're seeing two digits growth year and year. And the size of the market revenue, and that's we're talking about a global growth. So, which is very, very uh, rare uh, nowadays to find it. So, uh, just by that itself, uh, I think as a, as an industry, there's a lot of potential and a lot of excitements going on there as well. Yeah, it's interesting because we've touched on the business side of things um, with mm -hmm. with uh, previous guests, but I've never really thought about it in terms of that. I mean, just from from my point of view, I've always looked at it from the players' point of view, the coaches, mm. the CEOs, if you like, what they have to do. But from a business point of view, why should businesses get involved in esports, or what what is the the upside for them? Yeah, thank you. Thanks for asking that. So. Our minds, the main message to the market for the esports advisory is as follows. Like, you don't need to create a game to be involved in this gaming and esports industry. There's so many different ways to associate with esports, you know, crowd, even if you don't make game. And for example, you can have your own esports team or you can be a sponsor to a league or you can, you know, you can have a marketing campaign or what's, or you can come, come up with the own business, you know, uh, idea, new business uh, based on your own uh, existing business. So there's so many different ways of approaching it. And before it was, you know, before the esports came out, it was more of a, you know, like a player oriented gaming market. So unless you create a game contents, you can't really associate it to, to that market at all. So nowadays, I think being being esports, there are just so many different ways of it. And by doing so, uh, I think largely there's three things. So one is uh, so it's way better uh, marketing uh, uh, channel for towards especially towards a younger crowd. In the end of the day, it boils down to uh, three different ways. I mean, three different uh, purposes to being associated with the esports market for uh, companies. So one is marketing and branding. For uh, nowadays, it's pretty obvious that it's it's a, it's a medium that you can reach the younger crowd, the digital natives, very effective way. It's not just uh, so-called brand slapping, like you showing a brand in a television commercial or you know in an internet you know a commercial, but it, you're you're creating it's it's based on oriented on teams. For example, there's a lot of stories and dramas uh, and narratives behind that you know fans or user consumers can associate. So that's one. Second one is about new business. So uh, if you are a business owner, uh, you could, you know, potentially target your product or service towards this new uh, emerging market or growing market. Or if you already have a, you know, a, a existing service or products that may, you know, loosely related to esports, but, you know, based on that, you know, what the business that you already have uh, you could also come up with some kind of new product or services that's directly, you know, targeting the esports market. So there's a new business opportunity 
for that. And that's one of the things that we also help as a esports business strategy uh, part. The third piece is about investment. So this also goes back to like teams, uh, you know, business as well. A lot of the teams, as you know, the, 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 their valuations are very up high and increases really quickly. So in terms of uh, investment, you know, uh, portfolio investment, you know, a target, it, it becomes very uh, high return uh, uh, product. I mean, high return, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, medium for them. So uh, a lot of the people or a lot of the venture capitalists who has the, uh, the capital or the, the appetite for it, it is a high risk, of course, but uh, there's also uh, that opportunity for uh, investment as well. So largely there are three, I would say three, uh, you know, purposes to be associated with the esports market, I would say. I'm interested to know from a business point of view, how the stigma of being involved in esports as a business has changed over the last few years. Because I'm sure you you talk in your book, don't you, about still there's that kind of perception that sometimes oh, yeah. a negative perception of, of gaming and esports, oh, yeah. particularly from mm-hmm. the, the older generation. Right. So I think I think it depends on the demographics and on also the region. Uh, for example, uh, in Japan, where I live, uh, back in 2018, we had a lot of proposals going on towards our, uh, you know, new clients who have a lot of interest in esports. So, for example, what happens is that, uh, say we have a client and the the person who's driving is probably a junior uh, level employee, uh, so enthusiastic about it, and he just, you know, um, wants to spend most of his time thinking about or you know planning about this project. So we, you know, prepare a, a pitch together for uh, internal you know review and you know by the time we get to the up, up high end of the letter and then the final stakeholder who's a probably a b- very important person in the c-suite uh at the end of the day they you know just you know we ref- like turn it down because not because the uh, prospect of the business because the numbers are there but because they just don't know they just don't feel comfortable and they just i mean they soon very quickly associate with just simply gaming and their association with gaming itself is probably very limited because either they haven't had much experience of their own playing games or just that, you know, that what they've seen so far is, you know, in their house, their sons or daughters are just playing games fanatically. So there's only this negative connotations being associated with that image. So a lot of the time, you know, I always spend a lot of time, maybe, you know, it's about our proposal or pitch or all that. But at the end of the day, we we. we we made a conclusion that this is the perception kind of you know uh, issue. So that was back in 2018. But what happened in Tokyo? What happened in Japan is that from 2018, uh, there has been a lot of movement in esports. So for example, we have a new uh, association called the Japan Esports Union was established, and since then, people call it uh, 2018 has been the uh, the origin for Japanese esports. And the media took it, you know, uh, very, very seriously. So since 2018, we have a lot of, lot of articles about esports, esports business. And, uh, you know, since then, the, the perception has trained, I would say, changed drastically. So our uh, the client base has increased uh, multiple times. And, you know, it's just perception. You can tell it uh, that it's very different from, say, 2000, before 2018. I'm glad it's changed. And I think we've talked about it in this podcast before, but I think with the, the whole pandemic and everything that's going on around the world at the moment, one of the, the few positives to come out of it is about how esports has been at one of the only sports that's been able yeah. to adapt 
to the changing mm. the changing market really and how mm. people watch certain things um i mean 82 percent of people either played or watch esports during co- the covid lockdown so yeah. it's it's just a massive it's a massive industry that's that's just growing even more but i just wanted to touch on you mentioned that you you live in japan at the moment but you're from south korea originally in the uk my perception of esports is that it's it's growing massively but it's still in its infancy really i mean there was a uk yeah. industry report done by the uk video game trade body uk it boosted the uk esports industry boosted the uk economy by 150 million pounds in gross mm. value added in 2019 just to give me an idea of how big esports is in Korea, according to most recent estimates, apparently the, the Republic of Korea's gaming industry is worth $6.4 billion and as much as 67% of its cultural content industry, which yeah. is, I mean, that just dwarfs whatever the UK is producing now. Just how big is esports um, in terms of the Korean culture and, and how quickly has it become part of the culture? Right, right. So... To that question, uh, it actually took a while to uh, like reach where we are right now in Korea. So it started off in in the nineties, actually, when you know uh, I briefly mentioned about StarCraft that came came out in ninety eight, and when it became a huge hit. And back you know back in ninety eight, the social perception was very very negative about gaming. So nobody could dream of like you know there would be an esports you know professional player so you know that, that, that that's totally nonsense back then i mean nobody would dream about that but then gradually a year by year certain events occur and you know uh, it no longer became a dream it became an actual occupation where you had professional teams and there were certain events for example uh, there was the starcraft uh, final league that happened in uh, uh, 2004 and 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 people for 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 the final uh people how much how many was it it was a hundred thousand people gathered up at the final event and that wasn't even a capital in seoul it was in busan and the same day uh there was there was supposed to happen a all-star baseball uh professional baseball match which is one of the most popular uh sports in korea but you know uh the 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 it was it was actually the Starcraft match that was more popular that day. So, you know, I mean, we had a series of events like this and eventually uh, around the time in 2000, uh, you know, until 2010, it was it was very smooth. But then, you know, in 2010, we had a fixed game scandal and the industry got a direct hit. We had a lot of lay- layover and then, you know, I mean, laid off uh, employees and, uh, you know, the, the, a lot of teams were, you know, dismantled and, and a lot of the broadcasting was also dismantled, et cetera. But then, you know, it didn't stop there. Uh, like even the bubble pop, it's, it keep on going. So, for example, when I was uh, uh, working for an automotive company in Korea from uh, 2012 to 2016, uh, it was so we do a regular sports event as a corporate, you know, get together event. It's an official event. And one of the uh, like sport you know, uh, was uh, StarCraft. So there was basketball, there was uh, soccer, there was a uh, ping pong, and there was, you know, StarCraft. So it was like, you know, by the time in 2010, it was already part of the corporate, you know, culture. And it, this is not only specific to one uh, company, but this is overall as a, as a culture. And for example, we have a business called PC Bound, which is a, a you know, a game net cafe. And that was out since the 90s, and it's still going on. It's a very matured business, and people st- spend a lot of their times just playing games after work, 
just hanging out with your uh, colleagues or friends, just playing a round of League of Legends or what whatsoever, and you know, and it's so cheap. So it's it's, it's it, now it has become part of the culture, but it, it actually took a while. So it's it's not like a like you know all of a sudden it just happened in a couple of years, but actually I would say it took took uh, like a, like this, we have a full two decades that you know history to to reach this level at the moment. You you mentioned that hundred thousand crowd watching an esports mm-hmm. event that was in two thousand and four. That yeah. seems like so long ago, and maybe maybe like in terms of the actual the popularity of esports and the culture of it maybe careers just quite far ahead of the uk really and i I know it's massive in china and america as well at the moment but i just wanted to touch on career again because one of the biggest uh, ever wins in esports industry in terms of winnings was booger Mm -hmm. in the Fortnite world cup Mm -hmm. he took three million dollars from that event which is more than what tiger woods got for winning the 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 open which is incredible (laughs) but i was i was reading in terms of faker uh who has roughly a salary of 4.6 million dollars a year which is roughly twice what the average nfl player makes in a year isn't that crazy that is just (laughs) think about it yeah when you th- when you think about that, I mean, it's right. just it just seems like maybe the world is kind of behind career at the moment. We're gonna get there at some point in the next decade or so. It's just it'll be interesting to see how the culture catches up, if you like. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think you mentioned a really good point about the culture. So it's really about that perception, social perception, especially on the uh, the older generation. So I think the one, you know, uh, milestone that really changed the social perspective in Korea was that, you know, uh, like people like esports player being fully paid and they have a stable income. That really changed uh, the perception. It's like YouTuber nowadays, right? You can make a living by doing being a YouTuber. Which, if you think about it, maybe say 10, 15, 10 years ago, that's probably nobody would believe that. But you can actually do that. And people now, nowadays, people want to be YouTuber because, you know, if you're, if you're really good at it, you can make really good uh, living out of that. So, you know, that, that was very similar to that. Esports player was like that back in, uh, you know, late 90s and early 2000 in Korea. Like, you know, there was a few very good people uh, who got, got, you know, uh, you know, very, very good at the team and get paid. And also there was a lot, a lot of good, great, you know, uh, corporate sponsors. And some of them made their way to become a so-called star player. Like the uh, the faker, uh, I mean, the faker is the popular one now, but back then it was Slayer Boxer. And it's not only about their playing, you know, how good they are in games, but also their looks and their, you know, all that charisma and all that as a, as a, as a human being, as a person. So, and also, you know, a lot of the activity that, those you know early day guy that is it's try to promote what esports is because back then nobody really knew that that even that word was very foreign to a lot of people and maybe in some in some part of the country there's still a very foreign and so that kind of activity is really required to you know pave the future too so that you know the younger generation had could actually you know take it more seriously i would say
it just seems like we're basically what you're telling us on the podcast now is what it will look like in the UK in maybe 10, 15 years. Time. It just seems like we're looking into the future a little bit in terms of what's going to happen, really. But I was, I was, I'm ashamed to say, after reading your book, one of the phrases that I've never heard before, which I should have done really as an esports journalist, but one, one of the phrases was <laughs> PC bangs, which is a, a huge, I'm, I'm guessing, I'm not trying not to put words in your mouth here, but... Um, you mentioned like how big a thing that was for Korean culture about having these places where people could go and game. And what are PC banks, first of all, and how big of a part in esports culture do they play in Korea? Right, right. So simply put, PC Bang is uh, it's basically a net cafe, but more dedicated on gaming. So the reason why they, they came out is that so around when StarCraft came out, so a little before that, so the the PC, the net PC got a little popular and uh, some people own pc at their household but not everybody because it costs a lot as well but you know since the game came out a lot of people wanted to play those games and it's based on pc like for example starcraft but since they don't own the own pc but they still have the you know they want to play they have the need there's a market need so uh so naturally came out that you know gaming specific net pc so basically you get it get in there's a you know rows of uh, good spec uh, gaming PCs sitting and you have individual seats with the good, you know, uh, gears like headset and, you know, keyboard and all that. I mean, back then when it started, it was all like regular computers, but nowadays it's very, very shiny, like super, super good uh, computers. And, uh, you know, and you pay by an hour. So, and also it's the, the fee is very che- relatively cheap, I would say. So back then in the nineties, it was about, uh, I don't know in pounds, but uh, in the USD about, to two two dollars two three dollars per hour and there's all like within the the pc there's all the the games in it so you can play whatever you want and if there's no if you find if you don't find any games there you can just you know simply ask for install it next time you come so you know you can just simply come in and pay by by the hour that you play and then you know and it's all well the, the network environment is really good, really stable. So you can enjoy the online gaming with your buddies after school and just spending hours there. It's like a game market, but more of an esports version of it. And, you know, uh, like a young crowd like myself when I was growing up, uh, like junior high schooler, we tend to spend too much time there. And there's also like, <laughs> an, <laughs> you know, by the time you realize after a round or two, like it's already three, four hours pass and you're already past yeah. your dinner time and, you know, you have an angry mother, et cetera. <laughs> and, and, you know, these are like 20, they work 24 seven and when, you know, so 24 seven, you can just go yeah, there whenever. Oh, that's yeah, so whenever. cool. And they have like a night, night, you know, uh night special. So if you come in, like say 12 to six in the morning, they have a special deal so that, you know people like who who wants to spend all night leveling leveling up of their whatever mmorpg character they can just do that is that popular you know? parents then that that 6 a.m till 12 yeah <laughs> right. that's slow yeah. <laughs> yeah so and and you know and, and in terms of scale when that came out it was it was a mesmerizing so at, at its peak i think it was around uh around 2000 and uh we had about uh over twenty thousand uh pc bongs in the country and considering the size of the, you know, it's it's not a huge country, South Korea from the first place compared to the UK. But uh, just to give you a perspective, if you've been to Tokyo, uh, you know how many uh, convenience stores there in, in the city and uh, like, for example, 7-Eleven. So there's the number of 7-Eleven uh, in Japan throughout is about 20,000 7-Eleven. So 
you you, you get, kind of get the perspective. So it's like like pretty much literally everywhere you go, there's like multiple PC bongs anywhere you go. That just sounds like a dream. There are a few in the UK. I mean, but you have to like travel to get there. There must be a handful mm-hmm. that I've seen advertised where there's like competitive gaming spaces for you and your mates to pay and go. But I mean, it's not as cheap as as what you've you've talked about and i've looked at some of the prices it's like a, it's almost like a dollar an hour isn't it or something it's like really yeah. cheap yeah it's um, so cheap nowadays, yeah. i mean that's just so far off what we've got here at the moment and i can just imagine that that's you know the the bigger the industry is going to get the, the more companies are going to see the value of that maybe um and we're going to get more of that in the uk possibly you know you brought the good point because i you know like if i look back i think those kind of facility business really helped build the uh, ex- expanded community, gaming community. And in that case, back in the 90s, it was like a basically a StarCraft community. So it's basically, you know, the community got bigger and bigger through that facility business. And, you know, not every country has the same, you know, pattern of development. If you look into like, say, I mean, China is similar, but if you do like look into like U.S., uh, they didn't have a PC bank kind of business. It was a different model. Uh, but in Japan, we we don't have uh, we haven't had much like a business like PC bank until recently. So we have a few uh, business cases that came coming out and it's slowly growing up. So I think depending on the country, there's going to be a different model of development, and UK may have its own unique way of being developed. I mean, just thinking about that PC bang, the way the way you said it there, um, I don't know if this is right, but has it got anything to do with mukbang? Because, I mean, my missus watches, <laughs> like, all that stuff on YouTube and, like, yeah. we, like, eat different things or whatever. Is that is there a connection with that or is it just part of the language or...? Yeah, it's just part of the language. So, yeah. so it's, it's like, yeah, the little detail. So, a PC bang, bang means room, right? So, oh, it's okay. like, you have a PC, it's a PC room, basically. But the mukbang, I'm glad you brought that out. So, the bang and mukbang is a difference. So bang means broadcasting. So, so it's a eat. Muk means eating. So eating broadcasting, basically. Ah, uh, that explains so, it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that, I mean, just for anyone listening, I'm sure everyone listening who, I mean, who's a, of, a, of my, our, our age, I suppose, will have watched YouTube and seen them somewhere. So I'm, I'm glad they can make that kind of comparison between the two. But that that is coming into UK culture and worldwide culture. Yeah. So there's no reason why why we can't get PC bangs. And stuff. I mean, that just sounds really cool to me where people can get. Yeah. To, and I think that brings us more towards the, the personal side of esports as well, which I wanted to mention your book, Demystifying Esports sports which you, you've wrote and i've had a read of it and I've, I've really really enjoyed it and it just thank you it struck me how kind of personal you made you made esports personal to you which i really enjoyed i just want to go into uh, the reasons why you you wrote the book and you opened it with a story about your your angry grandmother um do you just want to do you want to tell that story for us sure sure so uh my mother-in-law who's uh who's uh you know, uh, a Japanese woman in her 60s still thinks that gaming is evil. <laughs> and partly because uh, my two sons, eight and six, who are playing Fortnite too much, perhaps, and especially my younger one, he doesn't listen to what she say when, whenever he's in a, in a so-called gaming mode. So, so basically what happened is one day uh, she was too, fi- too pissed, too furious about my younger son. So uh, at the end of it, she ended up uh, cutting the power charging cable of his Nintendo Switch. So that kind of started off to for me to, okay, wait a second. There's maybe some kind of a generation gap 
thing going on. And until before then, I thought it was more of a business problem because as I said, uh, at, at work, I, I do a lot of pitches, proposals towards my esports for my esports advisory. And a lot of the time it got turned down for whatever I, I explained before. But then, you know, it kind of I got a I got an epiphany that, OK, maybe this is not a business problem. This is more of a, uh, a generational problem, because and if you come to think of it, it makes sense because, you know, my mother in law, she never actually played game. It's more or less about my generation or little above and then below. And for example, like my kids, gaming is their entire life right now, so to say. And but on the other hand, like, you know, the the mother-in-law, the granny who's taking care of them has no gaming experience at all. And so that, you know, that discrepancy is, you know, something that I found that as a as, as a problematic. And so that's sort of one of the reasons I, I decided to write the book. And and because and I, I didn't want to, you know, like approach it as a business side of it, but more as, you know, you, you put it, Nathan, as more of a personal side, because I happened to grow up in Korea and I happened to saw all the incidents, what happened when esports was really taking off before even that ter- term was coined. And so I wanted to approach this more in the historical point of view that, you know, these are the series of things that actually happened back then. And, you know, it's not of a it's not like esports is not like this gaming, you know, phenomenon is not something that happened overnight. It's not just a buzzword. It actually has a solid history that built up over time. And it, there was also a bubble pop. So as an industry, it kind of it pretty much experienced all the so, so to say the life cycle of it. So uh, and, you know, I think this is perhaps I thought this could be a part of the you know narrative that you know, the, the so-called my, in my mother-in-law generation would, uh, enjoy because, you know, it's part of history and also, uh, thought maybe the best way to put it is in, in, in a, in a book, which is a medium that, you know, uh, those generation would, uh, I would say relatively more appreciate. So that's how it kind of started. So to say. It summarizes perfectly, doesn't it? The, the perception, the negative perception that some people have with esports and gaming in general, with the younger generation who see it as like a hobby, something fun to do uh, and a way of communicating as well, which I know you mentioned in your book as well about how sometimes you live away from your sons and the way of communicating them is through, is through gaming, is through Fortnite, it's through little things yeah. like that. And how, how important is, is that for you to have that communication through gaming? Oh man. Yeah. That's so important. <laughs> so like, like, uh, do they? But they do they just demolish you though every time? Every <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. As I mentioned, in the books. So I I I I living in Tokyo for work reason, and my kids are living in the countryside of Japan. So uh, we you know we see face to face every you know three weeks or so. But in the meantime, you know, I, every time I try to struck a conversation and say a video call or just a regular phone call. Like the thing is, they don't engage. <laughs> it's like even if I try to try to make a conversation, like, what did you do, do, do today, or like what what did you eat today? You know, like they just say, I don't know, I don't remember, right? But then the moment we're into Fortnite, like all this new conversation starts, like you know, dad kill that, like pick that, or you know, drink this, cover it up, I'll save you. Oh, what are you <laughs> doing? <laughs> Right, exactly. Yeah. What are you doing? Right? <laughs> and I'm so bad at that. I mean, we always play squad, and then you know, I always get you know, I call, call down, and they try to cover me up and try to save me. I, and they're they're so reliant in game, like compared to like I, being me being an adult. But it's like you would expect that you know, adults are always more reliant than the kids. But in the virtual world, in Fortnite world, these kids are way better, uh, more reliant. You know, 
character than you are. And, you know, and it's, it's just really, really good way, very, very effective way of associating with your kid. And, you know, moments, sometimes, times, time, like you actually do a victory royale together and that energy that build up as a team, like, you know, we did it, you know, it's like, probably it's comparable to like, you know, playing a traditional sports, you know, with your kid together, like winning us like a soccer match together or something, you know, and you, you, you feel like you become a hero as a dad. You know? yeah. so. <laughs> <laughs> it's so interesting because I mean, when I was, when I was growing up, it, I, I used to play football every single day outside every day. Mm. I was, I was football mad, but, and I, I, then as soon as I got in, I played Call of Duty or I played FIFA or I played GTA or Rainbow yeah. Six or, you know, anything I could get my hands on really in terms of gaming. So, it was more 50 50 but now it's changing the younger generation their way of communicating is through snapchat it's through instagram it's through gaming um it's 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 just the the less traditional channels i suppose you'd call it but i mean i'm sure you'd agree as a parent obviously children can play or even young teenagers they can play games too much and there is that thing of you know it's about getting the mix, isn't it? You want them to have fun and, and play with their friends, but also get their homework done and uh, right. eat, <laughs> uh, drink, you know, yeah. uh, that kind of stuff. But for me, I think the the one thing that stands out in your book and f- from my point of view as well, and it just kind of emphasizes my, my uh, personal opinion of esports and gaming is that the positives far outweigh the negatives. It's really about the experience, right? I mean, not everybody is doing for, let's say, to become a profe- professional. And it's really about that, you know, companionship, the, the experience, you know, in a virtual world where, you know, you don't have to risk anything, breaking stuff or anything. And you can be very creative depending on the genre of games. And, you know, that kind of experience is really hard to get and in, in, in the reality. And, you know, I, it's it's really not uh, you, do, do, do we really need to have a uh, hard on purpose to that for that? It's really just a shared experience. And as a human being. Is that a bad thing, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah, and it's really that, you know, and, and part of it, you know, as a, as a father with my two sons playing games together, it's really also about uh, creating that memories as well, you know? Like, I, I we still talk about, you know, once in a while, like, oh, that victory royale that, you know, that that match was really good, right? You know? I mean, it's it goes along the line as, like, watching a really good match of a sports league or something you know but something memorable i think that's just worth it yeah and it struck me how similar esports is in terms of gaming as well in that in your book i know you mentioned that professional esports players often oh, yeah. go on to become pundits and yeah. coaches and things which is just like what we see in football in nfl in uh in in basketball in all the other traditional sports it's following the same pattern and I know with me now, I'm watching, for example, Tex play FIFA or MS Tassari play FIFA because they're my FIFA idols that I watch. Whereas I watch like football because Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo or Kevin De Bruyne are my football idols. You you watch you watch these people at the very best because mm. you want to kind of copy them and be be as good as them or show, you know, what you can do in, in gaming. But if you, you know, if you can't reach that level, at least you've had fun trying and you've made friends and you've communicated and you you can talk to your friends about whatever you want 
as you, I mean, Warzone's the one for me. Me and my friends often jump on Warzone, and because it's one of those games where one game is could be like half an hour to an hour or whatever, it just gives you a chance to catch up and in that kind yeah. of setting at the same time as you, as you, you know, trying to find a decent weapon or whatever to, <laughs> or a decent hiding place. It's just something. It's just a really interesting way that the the whole landscape of communication has changed um, in in the younger generation over the last few years. Yeah. So, I mean, you brought a really good point. So a lot of the, you know, my, my past generation, you know, the, one of the misconceptions that they have is that the moment you want to enter a, a the professional world, even in gaming and esports, it's no longer playing for fun. You're playing to win or playing to create a, a professional, like, a, you know, uh, fun content for the viewer. And which may not really along you know, with your own interests, but you're doing it for the viewer or you're doing it to win. So, and in order to be, in order to stand out and uh, to win in the competition, to become a Lionel Messi and, and, and that, uh, you know, in that crowd, uh, it takes a lot of dedication, a lot of resources and practices uh, and, you know, years, years, and not everybody makes it to that level. There's a lot of people who, you know, I've seen a lot of my friends around that try to be a, uh, become a professional StarCraft player, but they didn't make it in the end. Of course, there's a lot, way more. And so it's, it, I would say it's very, very, there's a very similar ecosystem or scene to become a professional, just like in the traditional sports, like in football. So, you know, uh, it's, yes, as, as a casual player, you can enjoy game uh, with, you know, associate with your friends and family. That's, that's one way. But the moment you try to enter the professional world, it's a completely different mindset, completely different purposes. And, you know, you, you can't really, you know, look down upon that because it's 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 probably the same. You know, it's the same kind of dedication that you will have to put in to become a professional sports player. Just wanted to just finish on um, like where can where can gaming and esports go? I mean, over the last two decades like you've talked about starcraft and um, we've seen games like fortnite we've seen valorant come out we've seen loads of different titles come out that have just kind of pushed the the esports and gaming bar up like league of legends minecraft mm. like some of the mm. massive massive games in the industry where where can it go where do you see the industry going um the next big thing for example yeah, I can see I uh, think yeah, that's a really good question. So I can see two things. So one is that uh i can like nowadays i see a lot of uh so-called uh content mashing so we're saying about like different gaming ips or not only gaming but also like say uh a drama uh you know ip or different types of contents are being mashed together to, to create a new content and esports in a way is also sort of like that you have a gaming as a content and based on that content you're creating another layer of content which is the narrative and the story between uh, two or multiple uh, two different players or two different teams fighting each other over a virtual uh, on, over on a game, and that which creates new narrative. So I think this you know trend will accelerate uh, in this uh, sector and the entertainment gaming sector because I mean, being a digital content, there's a lot of way of uh, secondary uses uh, you know on top of the primary uh, uses that it was originally designed to. That's one. Uh, in terms of esports, uh, you know, uh, the way the, one of the reasons why I wrote the book was about the historical aspect, and then the way I see it, you know, and like many other things, history repeats. And uh, what I think what I saw in Korea was a little version of what's happening in the world right now. 
And we're seeing a lot of, you know, exciting stuff happening. And we may be at the beginning of it, of the uh, growth, or we may be at the peak, we, who knows. But at some point, I think, I don't want to, you know, like, bad mouth about the industry or anything but you know i mean being a very high like exponentially growing market uh there's also a risk of the bubble being popped so for example in korea there was a fixed game scandal so uh it's it's an industry where it's very you know uh like easily subject to uh this kind of scandal so uh, one way or another, I think there's a good chance that um that we we, we might experience something on a larger scale in a global scale and you know but at the end of it that's not going to be the end of the story and uh, because you know that's that that also boost in a different direction for example in korea it became more mature in the sense that it became a part of the culture so uh some things will you know disappear but something some good things will remain and be you know uh be integrated at the part of the uh, part of the deep culture and the, the the types of it may be different depending on where the what kind of region we're talking about. But you know that one cycle, I think it's probably what I, what I would expect in the next coming years. And not that I expect this scandal to happen, but you know it's it's a it's a it's an industry that is you know uh, there there are components of risky components. So that I think a lot of a lot of the stuff that we're trying to do in the esports advisory is that. Uh, we're trying to establish a lot more uh, stable governance and compliance in terms of, uh, you know, uh, within the ecosystem. So we have a very good, you know, uh, uh, knowledge in the uh, corporate governance and compliance side. So trying to make use of that knowledge so that, you know, uh, esports scene can also be sustainable. I know that, you know, uh, if, if people, obviously for people who's not really familiar about esports, they may, you know, take this negative part right away and say that, oh, you know, <laughs> out of context, right? <laughs> out of context. But, you know, it's the, any, any industry experienced this, right? Any uh, highly growing experience, experience a bubble and also pop, but, you know, even the internet. So, so I think this is part of the uh, industry, uh, uh, industry nature. Yeah, it's, whatever happens, it's it's going to be an exciting next few years, next few decades for, for the industry. And I mean, with the the next generation consoles coming out um, yeah. uh, next month, um, it's an exciting time with that. And obviously, PC gaming is just going to get better and better. The the better technology that comes out and you've got vr that's coming as well that has massive yeah. potential that hasn't quite hit the heights of what people thought it would mm. but there's still definitely potential there so yeah it's yeah. uh it's going to be an exciting next few years and next few decades hopefully for for the industry um but so um thank you so much Bar barrow for coming on today it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you and um the your book demystifying esports um when is that coming out so thank you, Nathan. Thanks for having me. Uh, the, the book actually came out last week and it's all over in Amazon around the world. So if you're interested, just please take a look at it. And if you'd like me to reach me, uh, uh, just, you know, look me up on LinkedIn or just shoot me an email, uh, demystifyingesports at gmail.com. I think the the book, having read it myself, it's 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 so interesting. Even as someone who thinks I know quite a bit about esports, I, I, there was a lot of stuff in there that I didn't know, as as we've talked about in this podcast. <laughs> and also, I think it's one of them books where if you if you bought it and then and read it yourself and um, and were really interested in it, you could very easily give it to your parents or your grandparents that don't understand your passion if you are passionate about that, and that would just open up way more avenues. I think that's a, something really really powerful that could come out of it as well.
Thank you, Nathan. That's exactly one of the reasons I wrote the book. Like, let let the you don't have to explain to your parents what esports your passion is. Let the book explains. <laughs> yeah, you, you took you took that hard conversation away from her, and the, yeah, that yeah. awkward thing of yeah. Uh, but uh, it's something that we, I'm sure, we both have to experience on a daily basis. What's your What's your job? Are you esports? What's that? Oh, yeah, this again. Oh, here we go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I might just have your book there ready. Just here you go. Yeah. Just read that and. And we'll we'll catch up afterwards. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> Barra. Thanks so much. Um, I wish you all the best of luck with your book. I'm sure it'll be a great success. And uh, best of luck at your at your professional work as well. And um, definitely keep in touch. I can't wait to see uh, where the industry goes. Um, so thanks a lot for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Nathan. Likewise, all the best for you as well. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Level Up podcast and esports and gaming show. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media at Level Up Pod. We'll be back for another episode very soon. <laughs>